Zito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifting goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for a very, very special interview. For the first ever time on this podcast, we are about to learn about the brand new sport at Paris 2024, breaking, aka break dancing. That's right, it is officially on the Olympics. We're all pumped, we're all excited and ready to see what it is. And today you're going to learn more about what it is, what breakdancing is, how it is going to work at an Olympics and how excited we should be for it. Because we are speaking to today Australia's number one male breakdancer, Gerard Cavallon, aka B-Boy Kid Tech, because we've got to get down with the breakers in terms of what we've got to refer to them as and you'll hear sort of a bit of a conversation here about how I need to refer to Gerard throughout this interview. But this is a, a fascinating chat, so exciting to learn about this sport, or even if you can call it a sport, because as you'll hear Gerard talk a little bit about in this interview, it still is a bit of a strange aspect that people are starting to refer to breaking as a sport. It's very artistic, it's very free-willed and free-minded and free-spirited, and it's a sport that really does kind of influence you to do whatever you like, it sounds pretty much along the way. So it's so open-ended and open for interpretation into what you can actually achieve out there when you're competing. And Gerard sells this so well, which is sort of why it is still very intriguing that people are referring to it as a sport. It's at the Olympics now, so I guess it is technically a sport no matter how you look at it. But uh, as you'll hear Gerard talk about, it's still something that in the community is something that uh, maybe is still a bit strange to hear. But Gerard goes through everything here from how he got involved, how it is judged, how it works, what we can look out for on there, Trash talking is basically encouraged in this sport, which you know I'm going to love. How important the music is and how you actually don't know what music you're going to be performing to, which is very, very fascinating. And how big this is for breaking, how this can really change it and take it from its roots way back in the 1970s in New York right through to being on the biggest stage in world sport. So this is a, a huge deal for this sport, this artistic art form, whatever you want to refer it as, this is going to be at the Olympics. And I, as I say in this interview, to me, it's the first time we've really had an artistic gold medal, silver medal and bronze medal given out in the Olympics in basically a hundred years, back when they used to give out things for painting and sculpture and all those fun days back in the old Olympics. So, so much is covered in this interview. You're going to get so much out of this and you're going to learn so much about breaking. So here's our chat with Australia's number one male break dancer, Gerard Cavallon. At the Paris Olympics, one sport is set to be added, which has a lot of people talking. For the very first time at an Olympic Games, a dance sport has been added, and that sport is breaking. It could be known as break dancing by a lot of people out there, and we are very excited to see it. And today, I am so excited to learn more about the sport by Australia's number one ranked male breaker. And I am so thrilled to find out more about the journey into the sport, what we are to expect in Paris, 
and everything else in between. And it's not often that I introduce guests on this show that have two names. Uh, I, I will first of all introduce him uh, by, I guess, his, uh, his non-breaking name. And that, of course, is Gerard Cabellon. And if you want to go by his breaking name, it's B-Boy Kid Tech. So, Gerard, first of all, welcome off the podium. And do you, do you, uh, Gerard Kid Tech, what, what, am I, what am I calling you here for the next hour or so? Uh, Gerard's cool. You can just Gerard's cool? All right, Gerard's cool. All right. I, I felt, I felt don't, how the Kid Tech would kind of, you know, go along the way. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll stick with Gerard. So that, that yeah, kind of I'll, works. But You know, if you want to switch it up, it's up to you. But, you know, yeah, Gerard kind of, you know, kind of all right. Every, every five minutes we'll just flick it in, you know, doing it. It's like a showdown, right? You know, like kind yeah. of just uh, change it up all, all the time. But, I mean, as I mentioned there, First time a dance sport has been ever introduced to the Olympics, but breaking, which is is fascinating. I remember when this was announced, and I was like, "Wow, that was completely left field. Never expected to see uh, break dancing at an Olympic Games." So for yourself, I mean, how long have you been involved in in breaking, and kind of how do you get involved in this sport? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I've been breaking for around eleven years, and I would say for maybe 10 of those 11 years, I would have never thought that I would say a sport, you know, that whole time for me, it's always been an art form or a dance. So this whole idea of like breaking as a sport is pretty new for a lot of the people in the community, or maybe not new, but it's always been a debate, but for it to be kind of accepted as a sport now because of the Olympics, that's pretty surreal, very different. But um, yeah, to answer your question, like getting into it, is you know it's just a just like kind of getting into anything else like any other sport you know you you see it on tv or you see for me it was specifically so you think you can dance or you know australia's got talent and seeing the breakers on that i remember seeing you know b-boy don and b-boy louis and other you know another group of sydney breakers doing it on one of those shows when i was like maybe four or five years old i don't even know and I remember running to my mom's room and like trying some moves on the floor and just always having it in my mind of like, wow, this is so cool. You know, like I want to learn this and then, you know, go forward a few years. I was dancing a little bit in high school and, you know, a few of the guys who I danced with kind of got in like a bit of trouble. They were a little bit of like, you know, maybe not the best influences. So I kind of detached myself from that. And then I was like, damn, I, I want to dance. But that style that I was doing is too affiliated with these people. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try breaking. And then I did that and I kind of just kept going, man. And that's, um, that's, that's pretty much the story for a lot of people. They just see it on TV. They try it on, the, on their own and then they find little communities to do it with. Yeah, which, I mean, it's just yeah. a unique aspect kind of going back to what you're saying about how even it being considered as a sport because, I mean, when I was in high school, I knew a lot of my friends did dancing and it was never a case of, they were going to, you know, sporting competitions and stuff. There was some level of competition, but a lot of it was more just of a, it was a recreational activity. It was a bit of fun. You know, they never did it to, to compete, which I guess that development of it throughout the years that I'm sure you would have seen to where it's at now. I mean, when, when you were getting involved in it in that aspect, was it just a recreational thing or were sort of competitions and things like that being held at the time that you could go in and, and, and represent your club or your, your state or anything along those lines? Not so much on club or state level. You know, it's, it's the reason why I think breaking is even in the Olympics 
is because it's such a battle and com- competition oriented dance. You know, it's not like, let's say, ballet or contemporary, where it's very much performative or personal. From the kind of, you know, creation of breaking, it's always been kind of about exchanging or battling. Mm. So, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not really part of clubs, but we do represent ourselves as individuals and our character. So let's say me, B-Boy, Kid Tech, and very much so our crews. So there are breaking crews who kind of band together from either the same, the same area or, you know, just experience or age group. And then we kind of battle it out like that. So crew versus crew, 1v1, sometimes 2v2, 3v3. There's a whole bunch of different formats for breaking competitions. And, um, you know, just like any other comp, it's like a bracket, you know, top 16, top eight, semifinals, finals. So you can kind of think of it as, you know, a knockout tournament that's somewhat like, uh, I don't know, UFC. You know, there's mm-hmm. three rounds per battle, right? One round, two rounds, bam, bam, bam. And then whoever wins, judges will point to them, move on to the next round, move on to the next round. And then, yeah. So it's very much been the structure of it has always been pretty solid for an event like the Olympics, I feel. Which yeah. I loved watching in the lead up to this, some of the competitions, uh, some of your competitions, some of the Youth Olympics competitions and things like that. Because it, when I was reading about it before I watched it, seeing that battle aspect kind of come to fruition from what I was reading about is is fascinating because it's sort of, it's almost like when you see, you know, the epic rack rap battles you know throw it down except you know instead of a rap you you, you know you're doing it with the dance because you've got the the great dance moves the showmanship and then you kind of as you're staring down the other competitor you're kind of doing hand gestures towards them like oh come on is that all you've got which i mean it just it adds such an element to it so i can see what you're saying with that that battle element while why the olympics probably you know looked at it and went hey like this this would be great for for many uh people to watch and see and and obviously the athletes to compete in Oh yeah, for sure. Like, um, you know, I feel, especially with, you know, battle tactics, you know, that in itself, you know, you can study that there's so much kind of psychology and philosophy behind battling, you know, there's a lot of intricacy and details when it comes to judging, you know, there's so much to be the criteria of what makes a good breaker or what makes a good round in a battle is you know, that it's not, there's no formula to win, but there's a lot of categories that kind of need to be met and a wide range of skills that need to be learned in order to be good at breaking. So I just think, you know, it's natural, I feel, for something like this to come. It's just a matter yeah. of time, you know? Yeah. Were you sort of, before you got into breaking, were you involved in, in sports? Did you play sports as a kid? Do other sort of forms of, of dance? I mean, kind of, you know, growing up, were there, there those other elements that you sort of kept yourself busy with? Yeah, when I was growing up, I played basketball mainly. When I was, you know, maybe primary school age, played a lot of basketball, moved over to playing soccer. I played on like, you know, kind of small club levels. I still kind of play now just for fun recreationally. So, you know, the competition aspect of my life has always been pretty important you know, winning has always been kind of important to me. And I feel it translates really well to breaking. It just so happens to be, it's also an art form. So mm-hmm. I get kind of like one on one hand, my creative release and my personal, I guess, emotional release in the art form sense. 
and I also get like my create well my comp- competitive release like the need to be like yeah I'm fucking better than you or you know <laughs> I, I, I messed up that time I'm gonna go back and fix it up yeah so it, it's a nice duality there you know which clashes yeah. a lot sometimes especially on a personal level like not knowing you know which what to value because sometimes the competition side gets out of hand and then you kind of lose yourself other times you're really into it on an emotional, personal, even spiritual level, but then you're not really doing well in competitions. So there's a really fine line between, you know, doing both and expressing yourself while at the same time doing well in comps, which makes breaking just crazy. You know, to me, it's like coolest art form there is. Did you, with through basketball, soccer or anything, did you ever look at the Olympics as something that, you know, wanted to strive towards? I mean, was it something that you watched sort of growing up uh, when, you know, they were on every four years or every two years, I guess, if you classify, you know, watching the winter and the summer every couple of years? Nah. <laughs> like, I watched it, but I never, you know, for, like, I'm, I'm a Filipino short guy. No, I'm not thinking, <laughs> like, I'm going to be in the Olympics for basketball, you know. And I started soccer at, like, you know, 16 years old. That's like, there's like 16 year olds in the Olympics already. So I never, I was like, that was not a thing for me. And at the same time I was breaking, but I did also did not think Olympics would be a thing for breaking either. So this whole thing, just even coming around now is just a whole kind of, you know, emotional whirlwind of excitement and uncertainty, but you know, it's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, we'll obviously sort of talk a little bit about how that, that process works in getting to, to Paris. But I would I would love to learn more about the sport. You know, I mentioned to you off air that this interview was going to cover a lot of the, hey, what is breaking? How does it work? You know, we, we want to learn this. I do. Our listeners, our, our viewers, everybody wants to learn. Can you break it down? No pun intended for us. Because I, I, I'm reading here... Uh, Top rock, down rock, and freeze, the basic elements that make up breaking. Now, uh, how, how would you describe those three? Uh, because I'm reading those and, and I feel like I'm, I'm playing a game of Pokemon and they're just kind of battle moves or something like that. So uh, yeah. enlighten us here, Gerard. How, how does all that work? Okay, well, enlightenment time. So I would say, okay, first of all, I'd say the, the term sport itself is pretty loose with breaking. I personally don't know if I'm completely comfortable with just saying it's a sport. So maybe that's just one thing to keep in mind is just, you know, calling it a dance or an art form or a craft, you know, maybe it could be is how it is at the moment could change, but that's just how I see it. And that's just for whoever's listening to this. That's kind of where it's at at the moment. It's not necessarily taken as a sport at like just yet by the general, you know, population of breakers. But now into those categories that you mentioned, top rock, down rock, and freeze, um, they are correct. However, there are different names for those things, and there's maybe one extra element that's not included there. So you have top rock, which is what you do while standing on your feet. So if you see when people usually come into a battle round, you know, they'll Mm -hmm. walk in from their side into the middle, They'll kind of, you know, groove to the music. It's very step-based, musicality-based, where they're, um, you know, writing the every second beat of the song while standing. Down rock or footwork is when your hands and feet are on the ground together, so kind of in like a crouched position. And that's when your legs are kind of spinning around, flying around, while you're still elevated by your arms. 
Freezes are any time that you pause within the round to accentuate the music. Okay. So you can freeze while even this is like a freeze, basically. If I stood up <laughs> like that, that's technically a freeze. But I guess what more people associate with freezes are, you know, when you're just frozen upside down or mm-hmm. balancing on one arm. That's freeze. And I would say is the, the head as well, arm, like when you're on your head, is that a freeze? Head, shoulder, arm. You know, some people do freezes on like, I don't know, their nose, whatever, literally anything, as long as you're wow. just frozen, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know who does that, but yeah, I'm just trying to say you can do freezes. Like <laughs> you can be doing anywhere. it at the Olympics. Come on, yeah, Gerard. There you yeah, go. I'll, I'll <laughs> Work on that. <laughs> but yeah, the one more thing I would add to that is power moves. Right. So that's kind of what a lot of people associate with breaking. So things like windmills where you're on your back or back spins or head spins, you know, that would be in the category of power moves. So you could go the general structure of a breaking round from beginning to end would be uh, top rock, footwork or down rock, then into power, power moves, and then into a freeze. That is like the basic way of creating or structuring a round in breaking you know competitions or ciphering and is it a a strategy based sort of formula that you're working out going into each battle in the fact that say if i was to get a sport like diving you you know you go into a qualifying round doing a certain dive then the more you progress the harder dives you're going to be doing so are you going to be going into round one with certain moves and then kind of each round you turn it up essentially and go all right come on let's uh let's make this more interesting mm, so I, I would say to an extent what you described is correct but it's more based on your opponent rather than the rounds so um you know breaking is very much a call and response type of art form so what we do a lot of the time is and this is also part of the art of battling when it comes to breaking is responding to your opponent so let's say my opponent does a you know, backspin. I'm going to be like, okay, he did a backspin. What can I do that's better than that? Or that can respond to that and take it up a notch. So I might do a backspin into a headspin into a freeze. Wow. So that's kind of how you can bring in the battle you know, element into it. But you know, also naturally there are, like let's say you have a three-round ba- uh, competition or a three-round battle. You know, maybe you want your first round to show your style or show how much, you know, character and musicality you have and maybe emphasize on that. Second round, you keep it solid, you do a little bit of everything and maybe on your last round, you do something very memorable, something explosive. So you can structure it like that, but I would say it's more so about following the music, whatever the music is telling you to do, as well as following your opponent. So it's very open-ended it's very free-flowing creativity is a, is a must it seems and the fact that you know you go in there with any strategy you want but if your opponent all of a sudden does exactly what you're saying okay well i've got to up it up and thinking on your feet i can imagine because you've only got what 60 seconds per round to kind of throw it down is that correct uh there's no time limit usually uh the average duration that a breaker would do around would be you know 40 to 40 seconds to like um, to maybe a hundred seconds max, you know, 60 seconds would be, especially for Olympic level competitions, 60 seconds would probably be an average. Right. Which it's fascinating to think that you could, you know, sort of have that, that level where you could kind of do that because 
the judging, I mean, being a judge sport as well, it's sort of, I could be, de- I imagine, dependent on the judges. I mean, are they always sort of looking for the same thing? Like, I'm sure there's a criteria which they're judging you on, but, I mean, can it differ at, at different competitions? Oh, different competitions for sure. There are a few different judging systems out there. So even now, I, I believe they may have confirmed the judging system for the Olympics, but that's something that, at least on our end in Australia, we still have to have a little bit more clarity on. But, you know, traditionally speaking, judges go by round systems. So round per round. So let's say I go first, you go second. Mm-hmm. They'll basically just judge who won out of those two rounds. Right. And to determine who won, they look at different elements like, okay, musicality. Who was on the music more? Who, uh, musicality, maybe dynamics, you know, who kind of used more space and used more levels. Uh, they can also judge on um, execution, who was cleaner, who kind of flowed in and out of their moves without crashing or f- disrupting their flow. Um, you have battling, you know, who kind of had the battle energy, making eye contact, getting the crowd involved, you know, responding to moves. There was, there's a whole bunch of, you know, se- separate subcategories, I guess, to battling that judges are looking for. And like you said, it's only 60 seconds. So, you know, within that time frame, they're kind of, a lot is going through their mind. They're looking for a lot of things. So that's why, you know, with that round by round system, you do have moments where people don't agree with the judges or people don't, maybe don't even compete because they're like, oh, I don't think these judges will appreciate what I do. So I'm not wow. going to compete. So I Jeez. guess the point of the Olympics and the system that they adopt will be to have, you know, will be so that they have the most transparency. Transparency. So, you know, maybe like a, a system that is based on points and also catering to all of those elements, like I stated above, which there are, there are more, but, you know, all of the elements that are involved in a battle so that I think they are going to have a number system so that you can look back on your score by the end. Something Which, like I mean, yeah. well, I'm, I'm reading on, so on the Olympics website, they've got sort of a rundown with it and at least what they've got now at the time of recording this, it says yeah, a minimum of three or more uneven number of judges score the battles on six criteria, which you were obviously touching on their creativity, personality, technique, variety, performativity, and musicality with performativity. That's a, that's a very interesting word. And creativity consisting of 60% while the other ones make up 40% of the Olymp- of the of the score. So uh and they said at the Youth Olympics in 2018 that comprised of five judges basically, which I mean mm-hmm. just yeah. what you're saying there like you think of all the judge sports at the Olympics and they've got a pretty strict I guess scoring system, you know, you think of gymnastics, figure skating, they're obviously looking for those certain elements that athletes have to meet. But it just seems like there's such more of an open-ended scale there, which, I mean, that sounds very fascinating. That makes it a little bit more exciting, if you ask me. Well, yeah. Well, like I said before, it's, it's, it's an art form first, right? Yeah. If there's a painting competition, right, how do you judge what painting is better than the next? Because at the end of the day, it's self-expression, right? So, you know, if I resonate more with one work and not necessarily with another, however, everyone else thinks that one's better, you know, who's right and who's wrong. And I think that's why you have this vague, um, you know, interpretation of breaking when it comes to judging is because at the end of the day, you can't really fight against your bias of what you think is more important. So some people may really highly value musicality, whereas other people may value technique more 
you know? So that's where that vagueness comes in. Cause it's not like, let's say Taekwondo where you can just tick a box or like score one point for mm. every time this happens, yeah. you know? And, you know, it's more, you know, I guess up to personal interpretation. Which, I mean, the closest sport I can think of at an Olympics would probably be figure skating just in terms of, mm. of what sort of they do. But, I mean, it is interesting to think that there's never been a dance sport at the Olympics. I'm pretty sure ballroom dancing has often been talked of as a potential Olympic sport, kind of the figure skating on land without ice, so to speak. But, yeah, I think that this is obviously a great move by the IOC given the youth angle of it, kind of appealing to, to the younger audiences. Because, again, watching some of the, the battles and, and the footage of this, it's just the energy of, of you competing, the the energy of the crowd, your, your DJ kind of flaring up the, the, the crowd as well, the music as well. I mean, it just it seems like it would be a very fun venue to be in watching all of this live. Yeah, man. It's, you know, on one hand you have a music concert where a live DJ is playing songs and you have dancing there as well. And the dancing isn't necessarily all choreographed or planned out, you know, it's very spontaneous. So you can very much feel the energy of who competes and also who's competing can feel the energy of the crowd. Hmm. So that's what's very interesting for me about breaking. It's, it's very much a give and take. When it comes to the music side of things, obviously you mentioned the musicality and obviously I'm not sure if this has been established what it will be for the Olympics, but where does that choice come from? Do you choose that? Because you're in a battle, so I can't imagine that one person's going to choose it over the other. Is that kind of given to you by the, the competition and you're told in advance this is the song you're going to be uh, dancing to and you just kind of work with that? So you do not know what music is going to play when you go out. Wow. So what happens is the DJ has songs that they choose mm-hmm. that they think is appropriate for a final battle or that they think is appropriate for a preliminary battle. And they will play those tracks. All the tracks do follow a similar BPM and have a similar structure. So let's say, you know, every count, every time it hits the one count, something will happen. You know, maybe just like a, like a big clap. You know, so even though the songs are different, they are, you're still able to adapt to them quite easily. However, naturally, every song has a different melody or has different instruments being played. So that means you move differently depending on the song. But since you don't know what song is going to be played, you kind of have to adapt to that. Wow. Fascinating. That's really fascinating. Which, again, I guess the DJ themselves, I mean, that sounds like there's a selection criteria alone for the DJ because I'm sure there's a bit of a strategy involved there in terms of like, well, well, this DJ is going to do this or they've got their own style. So, I mean, again, probably not at the time of recording this, knowing how it will all work for the Olympics. But, I mean, how, how do they go about choosing a, a, a DJ? Well, I guess, okay, so for there are DJs who are famous for just breaking battles or you know, a break DJ. That's very common. So it's not like we can just go online and type in best DJs in Sydney and choose one. <laughs> it's specifically people who specialize in this. And obviously it's the breaking it in itself is so niche, let alone being a break DJ. So there's only mm. really a handful of them in Sydney. So between those guys and females, you just ask, you know, can you do this event? Can you do that event? And I guess what's also... What I should also say is 
there's not an infinite, infinite amount of breaking tracks. So even though you don't know what song is going to be played, there's a high chance that you would have at least heard that song before. So it's not like you're completely in the dark with this. You do event, you do end up, you know, it's not a surprise if I do a battle and I know, or at least I've heard every song that I battle to. Yeah. So does that then come to a point where you maybe have like a favorite or someone that you kind of grab and you're training to a lot and all of a sudden in a competition, like, oh yeah, great, this track, this is this is my jam. And then all of a sudden yeah. you'll have ones where you're like, oh fuck, not this one. Jesus, I always suck at doing this one. Oh, dude, always. There are always <laughs> battles where, you know, they play a song and, you know, you can't ask to change the song mm. or you can't just not go in. And I'm just like, fuck, this is, I hate this song. <laughs> yeah, that happens at maybe every jam at least once, you know. Wow. So you just kind of go in and you, you, you do it. You try your best, but it's very much a preference thing. It's not like every song evokes the same feeling. You know, some mm-hmm. songs can hype. Other songs rely rely on you to be a little bit more, you know, maybe slick and smooth with your movement where other songs really want you to go hard and hit, you know, certain sounds. And again, like I said before, you know, part, a huge part of what we do is the music. So it's not like we are, well, at least ideally, but it's not like we are just doing our moves and doing them on top of the music. So if this is the music, it's not like we're just doing our moves on top. The idea is the music is here and we are kind of crossing into it. So we are merging ourselves with the music and adapting to it. I like so, that merging into the music. That's a great way of putting it because, you know, we often find from a lot of our guests on the show that they'll have the headphones on before whatever event they're going because that's, that's pumping them up, you know, and often some sports like Winter Olympics, half pipe, they've got the headphones still on when they're, they're competing. But this is obviously a sport where you're not probably going to do that beforehand because you need that music as part of your routine your competition to kind of get there because yeah that merging into it i like that's a great way of describing it that's a real great image there (laughs) yeah no for sure like if if anything you know before competitions i usually don't listen to breaking tracks i'll listen to guys like maybe i don't know john coltrane or like some experimental jazz or maybe just classical music to just put wow. me in a completely different headspace. Yeah. So that way when I hear the breaking track, it's kind of fresh for me or it's new. So I do end up feeling that excitement. Because like I said before, you hear a lot of the tracks, you know, like you've, you would have heard them throughout your, you know, 10 years of breaking. So a lot of the time you do get bored of certain songs. And for it to feel brand new to you again, maybe you limit yourself on listening to the same song over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I so can maybe imagine. the opposite of other people where they're trying to get hype, you know, I'm trying yeah. to get yeah, trying to chill. Can you try? I guess you can't really break to classical music. There's not really a beat to it, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried. It uh, <laughs> probably well, doesn't work, can, really, does it? Maybe not, you know, not ideal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe it doesn't, doesn't quite best. Yeah. work that way. When it comes to, like, the thing also, too, that I love about it, um, you know, your name, B-Boy Kid Tech, like, how do you how do you come up with that? Is that something that you you pick from when you first start, or does it get given to you? I mean, how do all these cool names that we see all of the dancers having uh, come about? Yeah, I guess well, traditionally, you have your name given to you, right? So in my case, when I was in my first year of breaking, I would practice with you know a bunch of people, and one of my crewmates he gave me that name. He was like Kid Tech, you know. Before that, I guess the name itself is usually based on, you know, characteristics of you or characteristics of your dance. 
So for me, I was always the youngest guy in the group. So that's where the kid aspect comes in. And tech is based more on my breaking style. So technical, you know, quite a technician when it comes to how I construct my moves. And the term tech is what we use for a small combo. So I guess back then I would make a lot of intricate combinations with my moves. And you could say I had a very tech-based style. And I was also just quite technical with how I did things. So tech was just, you know, came natural as well. So kid tech was just how I appealed to other people at that time. You know, some people do choose their name though, but um, I think it's cooler when it gets given to you. Yeah, I can imagine. And is that sort of something then that, you know, you're not, I can't imagine anybody would really change it along the way, right? It's not like, fuck, I've been doing shit as kid tech, so let, let's call myself, you know, uh, juvenile tech. Or I've grown up now, I'm adult tech. Like, I mean, I don't know yeah. if that probably happens too much in breaking. Uh, no, nah, not really. I, I do get that a lot, though. You know, when are you going to become adult tech or adolescent <laughs> tech or whatever, you know? But, you know, I, for me, I, I, I did consider changing my name, actually. I considered changing my name maybe two years ago because I did, I came from quite a long hiatus from breaking and I wanted to kind of, you know, reinvigorate myself. And I was like, you know, mate, I'm going to change my identity. I'm going to pick a new name. I'm going to start fresh and then I'm just going to make a bang. But, you know, reflecting back on what that name really means to me, Kid Tech, I mean, you know, I was like, no, nah, this is this is me. This is who I am. It's been given to me. It's kind of sacred for me. So I just kept it. And I think being a kid is very much like a, you know, that that's a really important part of not just breaking, but hip hop in general, kind of like feeding the inner child, allowing that inner child to play and, you know, being free and being, you know, expressive and random and being childlike for me that's a very very big part of breaking you know at the end of the day we just want to be you know kids again yeah that's like the epitome of freedom the epitome of creativity so yeah, you know, I, I will gladly be kid tech when i'm 70 years old yeah exactly yeah. let's yeah. keep keep that going there you mentioned obviously that style sort of you know more of a technical style for yourself but i mean what other sort of styles can you have as a breaker yes so um, so my style is, is, yeah, like I said, a technical style that's based mainly on footwork. So like we were talking about before, it's when you go down on your hands and your feet at the same time, kind of like quick feet, you know, abstract angles, patterns, and, you know, flowy combinations. You do have people who specialize in freezers. So they go from, you know, their head to their elbow, to their hands, down to their arm, and they just kind of their rhythm is a little bit more like stack, 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 stack. Whereas my rhythm is a little bit more, I guess, unpredictable and fast. You do have people who specialize in power moves. So they are constantly spinning, 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 upside down, spinning on their head, um, you know, throwing themselves around. You know, I guess um, there are people who specialize in those aspects, such as top rock, footwork, freezes and power. Um, but I guess the way that things are moving now, especially that the Olympics are coming, people are trying to have a little bit more of an all-rounded style. So they do a little bit of everything. You know, they do, you know, they start off doing some intricate footwork, do a big power move, and then finish with some freeze combination. So that's kind of, that's something that's way more prevalent now than it was maybe 10 years ago, where, where it was more um, catered to specialists. But now it's, you know, everything is kind of merging into one. 
And what really shines now is your character and personality above just your choice of moves. Which I loved, again, in the footage that I watch, I, I loved seeing just that level of personality that has uh, come across. And you and I were talking a little bit off air about sort of, you know, what the next couple of years are no doubt going to be like for breaking and, and the attention it's going to receive. And I just, I can't imagine this isn't going to just be the biggest thing in Paris. You know, I mean, we saw that with skateboarding and things like that in, in Tokyo, which, you know, had differing levels of success. But for, you know, in a modern age, social media, things like that, personality, it's just, it's going to be just, it's going to be huge. I can't see this not being huge in uh, at Paris. Well, I've been saying that for like, well, I think it's going to be huge. And I've been saying that for like 10 years, you know, like we have character, we can do these big moves. We have personality. We can kind of, you know, I feel like if people put a camera on us, we're going to do something crazy no matter yeah. what. And I hope that that leads into opportunities on like commercials in movies, whatever interviews like this. But for me, breakers, you know, you have to be a bit of a crazy person to want to do breaking, you know, to want to do it for 10 years. So naturally you get a lot of interesting people in there. Which when it comes to the training, I mean, the obvious thing is I'm sure you're probably dancing every single day, honing on the moves, but is there an element where say going to, to the gym, you know, going for a run, something along those lines, watching your diet. I mean, is there a lot more to it than simply just dancing every single day? Yeah, for sure. Just, just like any other sport, you have to manage your life properly. You have to get sleep you have to take on extra exercise, like you said, running or, you know, doing push-ups and planks every day, for example. Um, diet is a big part for me. I think that, you know, if you think about it, you're carrying yourself a lot of the time. The lighter you are, the easier it's going to be. So, you know, making sure you're within a certain range that's manageable for you while you still can be strong. You know, if you think of calisthenics, for example, pretty similar mm. where you're, strengthening yourself while also you know increasing mobility stretching is a big part of it you know we're constantly stretching constantly trying to get the splits constantly trying to like get our shoulder as far back as we can um it's really a full body exercise you know there isn't there isn't a part of your body that isn't used when you break so i guess you have to be in, in shape to do it at a competitive level yeah, and I, I can imagine it's the only Olympic sport where actually sitting or standing on your head is the only uh, element there to practice because I don't, I don't think you're seeing weightlifters or all these other athletes, you know, hang, hang on their head for a little bit too, which yeah, I, I, uh, is that scary when you do that for the first time when you all of a sudden try out the whole like the head spin or, you know, getting on your Give head? Give it a go, mate. Give it a go. Oh, Tell me right now? You want me to try it? I'll probably end up breaking my neck. <laughs> that would be something that yeah, nobody wants to see today. Small. Trust me. <laughs> um yeah it can be scary i guess you know looking back on it like now it's not like you know some people jump from standing and land on their head you know that's a thing um but i do teach a lot more now so i do see more of the you know younger generation or people who don't have experience and they do have a lot of fear going upside down but again similar to skateboarding there is an element of fearlessness that you have to have in order to be good so a lot of the time you just have to, you know, just think positive. Don't think you're going to break your neck and just give it a go and just be careful. And then that's how you kind of get good. I feel like you, if you're too cautious, you limit yourself. Which I would say my biggest fear wouldn't necessarily be being on the head or upside down. It's I, I just hate being spun around. 
right? I just it's not a thing that I like. So I'd be I'd be doing one bloody spin. I'm like, nah, quit. I'm done. I'll just you know go into my arms or something like that because I, I just hate being dizzy. You know? Yeah. yeah no, it's, uh, you know, you kind of got to get used to being dizzy if you want to break. Yeah. Yeah, which do you, do you kind of, I mean, again, it's probably a question you can't answer because as you're saying, it's more of a creativity thing. You're not going in, no doubt, with a certain way of looking at it. But if, if you are going to plan for the big head spin, would you generally go towards the end of a, a round or a routine because you don't want to start off being spinning around being super dizzy and then kind of going into some other moves? Or is there a way you kind of combat that? Oh, man, there are just some crazy kids out there who will just head spin the whole way through. Wow. You know, there are some breakers <laughs> who specialize specifically on head spins, you know, Jeez. and they will go from spinning fast, spinning slow to spinning with their hands behind their back to spinning with their, you know, their legs crossed together. And they will just do that for like 40 seconds straight you know? <laughs> and then get up and walk off. Like nothing. Cross around, how beat that? And how do you combat that though? Is I mean, is that like the the ultimate score you can get in breaking, or is there like a movie? Oh fuck, you're just spinning on your head, mate. I can do better than that. Come on. No, I think I guess that that's a thing where that's what I'm interested to see in the Olympics, because you know obviously the general public would find that to be absolutely crazy. You know, yeah. Oh, this guy just spun on his head. But for people who can do that move, or people who specialize in head spins, you know, they can they can all do that. Once you get into the top tier of breaking, those moves that may seem super flashy aren't actually that difficult. I'm not saying I can do that, but, you know, a lot of people can. So then on a judging level, they're like, yeah, I've, I've seen that before. You know, they're, 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 I can do that. So there's nothing too, too crazy about it. But let's say for someone like my style, who's more about creating angles and shapes and on the floor and going to the music really well, maybe that that's a bit more refreshing for the judges. Like, oh, he did something with his legs that I've never seen. Mm. So I will give him a point as opposed to just the guy who spun on his head for 30 seconds because he just did one move. Yeah. And maybe someone else did 20 in one Lazy. Game. One move. Lazy. Gerard, come on. Oh, look, that's crazy. You know? like, yeah. I, I, if I could do it, I'll do it. But yeah. <laughs> you know, there's more to breaking than just the flashy move is what I'm trying to say. And it, it really does seem like a sport that – it's endless in terms of the fact that, again, at aerial skiing, you could probably only spin five times, you know, 100 metres. You can only probably run a certain time. It's never going to, you know, break the seven-second barrier, whereas breaking, you could be creating moves today that no one's ever seen. There could be a breaker out now, a young girl, a young boy who's going to be doing something in 10 years' time that no one's ever seen. It just seems like an endless amount of ability that you can bring to the table. No, you're completely right about that. And I think um, creating, it's just, it's, it's insane how you can, you can know breaking and see breaking for, you know, 10 years and still see something brand new every time you, you go out and do it or every time you watch it. So creativity is a big part of it. You know, you can always do something new. There is always something new to be done because as the world change, changes, you get inspiration from it, right? So you know, let's say now that whatever is popular, let's say Star Wars, you know, I'm looking behind you or, you know, Marvel, they might do something there and you're like, oh, I can turn that into a breaking move, you know? So that will always happen because we do draw influences from a lot of the things that we see outside. Um, but yeah, for me, creativity is one of the most important aspects of breaking. I would put it maybe top two, top three. So 
yeah, man, that's part of the enjoyment of doing it is being able to create something new every single day. You can surprise yourself and be like, whoa, I didn't know that was possible. And you just did it. You know, it's, it's really fun. With what you're saying there, what are the other kind of top two, top three most important elements of breaking then? And I, I guess this goes to, to what I said about uh, it's, it's quite vague and everyone has a personal preference. For me, it is very much uh, musicality would be number one. Then I would go creativity and then character. That's what I would value. Good, good three there. I, I mean, I've got to ask just on the influence. I mean, please tell me if you've ever been influenced by Star Wars and use that. But I mean, do you sort of, uh, you know, what are you influenced by? Is, is there certain things that just hit you or kind of do you go out of your way to, to watch, listen, read certain things that maybe might influence you? Yeah, so I guess, you know, I draw influence from one, the people I'm around. So I have a crew, Floatality, this crew over here. Got it, yeah, advertising there. <laughs> I just always wear this, but um, it's uh, nice. I like it. Get the merch okay. going out there. You need to drop it. Yeah, there. yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Um, I'd, yeah, no, I'd gladly I have a, I have a <clears throat> you know crazy crew full of crazy people. So, and that's not just dance. Like literally, they're fucking crazy. You know, they just do wild <laughs> shit every day. Um, so I just watching them gives me a lot of inspiration. Um, I you know I'm into different types of music. I'll listen to. You know, like for me, I'm very inspired by jazz or even the structure or maybe even the, the seemingly lack of structure in jazz. I try to be quite, you know, uh, unpredictable with what I do. I do very much base it on how I hear music. Um, I'm into films. I watch films. There are certain tones that I see in, that I feel in film that I try to match. Um, I'm actually a film editor. Like that's kind of what I do as my day job. So even just reflecting on that and how contrast and motif is such a big part of it. You know, you go from something dark to something light and there's an impact. Mm. So how do you translate that to dance? You know, maybe I'll do something small and do something big. And now I've just created an emotional response to what I did. But, you know, I wouldn't have known that as well if I didn't have this understanding of film or editing. So, you know, my life definitely is in play every time I dance. It, it just seems like going back to the point, the argument, whatever you want to call it about, you know, sport, artistic, all that sort of stuff, that, you know, back 100 years ago, there were artistic programs in Olympics. You know, there, are, there were gold medals awarded for painting, for, for theatre, you know, way back in the day. And it almost seems like we're, we're kind of bringing that back with this because, if it's a if it's in the Olympics, it's obviously classified as a sport. But like what you're saying there with kind of that level of inspiration, creativity, things like that. I mean, you know, Ian Thorpe isn't watching a movie and going well, the way the light and the dark translates to each other is going to make me swim an extra, you know, three seconds faster in the four hundred meters. This is something that you can take on board, and that could potentially be the difference between seventh place and an Olympic gold medal. Like it's it's insane to think of how that can work into something that is now an Olympic sport. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can be a bit pretentious at times with what I say. No, like please. It's great. I like this. Yeah. This is what we need to learn about the sport here, Gerard. This is exactly why you've got you on. Be pretentious I as you like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, but no, seriously. I, well, this is what makes breaking so interesting for me is you have that deep, deep level of artistry, right? And then that alone, you can just imagine that's enough to set you up. You know, if you just worked on creating and exploring 
all day, every day, that can feed your soul. That's enough to do. However, there's also the aspect where I'm trying to learn moves as well. And the only way to learn moves or the only way to refine your existing moves is by drilling them and practicing them. You know, like doing a hundred free throws in basketball, you know, you'll do, you know, a hundred windmills or you'll do 50 flares. You have to still have that element of just grinding and training and being at the gym. And, you know, so you can be as creative as you want, but you can't deny the need for a foundational base of movement and a solid foundation of movement. So, you know, it's just so, I guess, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really is. And that character element too, that playing up to the crowd, you know, getting them on board, connecting with the music. I mean, I don't know sort of if the venue sort of where they're having it in Paris is going to be announced, but I mean, I can't imagine this isn't going to be one that's going to have a massive, massive crowd. But do you sort of go into these events where the bigger the crowd, the better? Are you sort of somebody who really does feed off that atmosphere and get that character on board to really kind of go into that creativity? Yeah, personally, I'm a very... uh you know, I love the crowd. Yeah, a lot of the times when I do big competitions, I, I peek and I, and I look at all the audience members and I just think to myself, well, okay, these are like, let's say there's like 500 people here. All right, this is my chance to, to win 500 people over. Wow. So have, to have 500 people be like, oh, I fucking love kid tech, you know, every <laughs> time. Right? So some people be like, don't want that at all. And they're just like, okay, I'm going to focus. I don't want crowds as a distraction, but you know, I guess it, that, that feeds me. So you know, the bigger, the better, man. Like I, I enjoy that a lot. And for me, the <clears throat> playing to the crowd, obviously it's fun to watch, but it's also a battle tactic for me. You know, if the crowd's on my side and they're louder for me than they are for you, or I can make them, you know, laugh and you're just not really, you know, interacting with them, then that's getting in my opponent's head. Like, damn, this guy's like, <clears throat> you know, he's, he's able to battle me and also make these guys have fun so i need to like step my game up this is rough so I, I, at the end of the day i'm always thinking battle i am always thinking what can i do to get a you know a leg up on my opponent and for me playing to the crowd just happens to be something that i enjoy and also assists me in doing that which i love that that battle aspect because one of my favorite questions i love asking people from new sports is is there sledging involved in your sport? You know, do things get out there on, on the field, the court, whatever it is? And I mean, this just seems like you live off this type of thing. I've seen the footage of this kind of like you know, the mind games and that sort of stuff, which that just looks fun. You kind of get to diss these people and it's part of the sport and you get away with it. Yeah, pretty like you get away with it 90% of the time, I'd say. <laughs> you know, obviously there are times where it goes too far or, you know, no touching is is a big thing. You don't want to ever lay hands on anyone. But sometimes it escalates, you know, sometimes people get too close. So sometimes, you know, <clears throat> you're maybe mocking someone too hard. But for me, like, oh, man, I don't I don't care. Like, obviously, no touching, but I will talk shit. I will try to get in your head. I will laugh at you. I will point at you. I will call it out when you make a mistake. Um, I guess, one, it's good for battling, but also, dude, it's just fun. It's fun yeah. because there's no hard feelings at the end. You know, it, it's when in life do you get to just do those things and not be a bully? You know what I mean? Well, there's one so, thing I've noticed in all the matches I've watched, the battles, like you guys are all in each other's faces. You're doing this, you're doing that. But at the end of the day, the judges go, boom, Kitek's the winner. But 
the other guys lost, but you give each other a hug, high five. Yeah, man, that was awesome. Great battle. So it doesn't seem no matter how much shit talk you're doing out there, you end up giving each other a, a hug, a handshake, and probably go grab a beer afterwards or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, that, that is a huge part of it. But there is also the what happens behind the camera, you know. Mm. So I guess the way that, well, first of all, breaking is a, it's a way to turn negativity into positivity. That's just how it's been made in its conception. You know, it was made by, you know, African-American and Latino youth in the late 70s to combat gang violence, to combat getting into this negative space in life. So what they did was just dance, right? So positivity is at its core, but the way that we kind of let out those negative emotions is by battling each other. So let's say if I talk too much shit to you in a battle or you feel personally offended by what I did, what would usually happen is a call out. So you would call me out and be like, hey, like, you know, let's go. Let's do some rounds. Like I'm going to I'll destroy you. Or like I will, I will show you that I'm better than you right now. No cameras, no nothing. So that is still very much part of the culture. So you do have <clears throat> breaking is very much separated into this competitive sphere and a, I guess, underground sphere. And in the underground sphere, that's where you have ciphers, which are circles of dancers gathered around, kind of just sharing the energy within that space, not always recorded on camera. And then you have the competition where there's a stage, where there's lights, where there's a huge audience. So, you know, some breakers just live here and some breakers just live here. But, um, you know, for me, I think it's important to dabble or to, to be connected to all of those parts of breaking. Because I was going to say, with the positivity that an Olympic appearance for the sport brings, I can imagine <clears throat> the flip side of that is I'm sure there are maybe some traditionalists or, you know, people who don't see this as a sport, as you've sort of mentioned a few times. This is a, an art form. It's an expression. It's It's got its roots in what you were saying, sort of in that cultural aspect of rather than fighting, this is going to be expressive there. So I can imagine that there are maybe some breakers who – maybe aren't so positive on it being in the Olympics and kind of want to keep it sort of in that maybe underground level of things rather than the competition side of things. Yeah, that that's, that's natural, I think. And there is a lot of that. <clears throat> and there was even more of that, especially when the breaking just came around. But I think at least for most people, they've accepted that this is a good opportunity for breakers to, to achieve more to maybe make a living out of it or to at least, you know, make more of an impact with their art form. So I think more people have gone around to it, but you will always have, you'll always have traditionalists and people who want to keep it raw and underground. But in my opinion, I think that there's space for both. Yeah. Similarly to how you have, you know, pro skateboarding and, Mm -hmm. or maybe like, you know, the big TV X games, then yep. you have street skateboarding, which are like independent brands and independent people who are just filming their own stuff. And, you know, that's just as popular as the big stuff. And it's usually those people who create their own brands and sell their own clothes, sell their own boards and make films of what they do. And, and a lot of people are drawn to that as well. <clears throat> I feel like there's a bit of a fear that if breaking becomes uh, just completely turned into a commodity or completely commercialized, then we'll lose our roots will lose the essence of hip hop and the essence of, you know, the individual within it. Um, I, I think that there's space to have both. And with it, with the right leaders and people playing in those big roles, 
of the corporate side or the you know big competition side. So you know keeping it within breakers, for example, having organizations that are run by breakers, or at least having breakers part of the decision making committee of whatever happens with the dance. Then I think we can still keep its essence. But you know it's just about what we do from now until twenty twenty four. You know it's it's really fragile, so we just have to make the right moves. Which it's obviously very exciting times, no matter which way you look at the sport with that Olympic appearance. LA has confirmed it for 2028 as well, which I'm sure Brisbane will, you know, want to keep their two-time Olympic gold medalist kid tech uh, on a home Olympics in uh, 2032 there, uh, Gerard. So I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time before it's there. But I mean, it's just going back to the question when I asked about growing up, watching the Olympics, things like that. But it's it just must be an insane thing to think that this art form that you got involved in now you have this opportunity to go to an Olympic Games, which uh, when you started, you would probably never thought in your wildest dreams would be, I think it'd be like if all of a sudden they said at the Brisbane Olympics, podcasting was an Olympic sport. Like, fuck, I could be an Olympian. Great, this is this is going to work out for me. But, I mean, how how does that affect your mindset now when you kind of look at the sport? Is the Olympics something now that you're like, wow, this is where I want to be. I want to be in Paris. And does that change much kind of in that process and that lead up to the Olympics? Well, I guess it's important, you know. Like I said before, I was coming from a hiatus and part of why I put a lot more effort into breaking coming out of that was because of the mindset that, well, this is going to be big in a couple of years. I want to get to a level where I can be a part of whatever happens, whatever comes with the Olympics, whether that's me being in the Olympics or me just reaping the benefits of the, the breaking scene being elevated as a whole. So it does come into play with how hard I practice. Um, But I guess for me personally, the Olympics, the way that I like to see it is, you know, on a personal level, it's not, you know, the pinnacle of breaking Mm. because I do appreciate and I do value that art form aspect a lot. And if I have to sacrifice that to be an Olympian, then, you know, I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to consider that but I don't think that's necessarily where I want to be. I still want to be able to break how I want to break and do good. I don't want to have to change who I am to, to please you know, Olympic judges or a specific judging system. But, you know, I'm still going to give it my best shot. I'm still going to try to do my best as me. And I think that that's like, you know, that's all I can really do. Great attitude to have with that. And obviously I can imagine that's very important for pretty much any breaker out there who's sort of, you know, been involved in it for a long time. I was sort of, reading around the the qualifying and sort of it seems a little bit sort of structured but up in the air so i'm not sure sort of how much you're aware of of the of the qualification but it seems like australia you know the oceanic championships kind of that's how it's going to play through so for yourself does it a case of you look ahead and go to a world championships oceanic championship and just see what kind of as you're going on there flows upon and comes upon your way that could lead to that olympic appearance yeah well like well i think now what's coming into play within the breaking association that we have are more opportunities to go international and compete against the world as opposed to just compete against Australians. So like you said, we are categorized within this oceanic uh, subcategory within the world. And that I think has, you know, a bunch of countries that are really high level breakers or have really have breakers who have a really high chance of even winning the Olympics, you know, and I hate to say it, but Australia is, you know, a small country and we're very geographically, we're very distant from the rest of the world. 
So when these people in Asia are competing against themselves, so you have Asia, Korea, China, you know, uh, Japan, um, you know, Hong Kong, all kind of battling each other. And then you have Europe, which has, you know, all these countries who are battling each other. That's kind of where the pinnacle of breaking is. And if I'm in Australia, for me to just go to one of those countries, yeah, I have to save up for ages and then go for like a couple yeah. of weeks, come back, save up for like another year, then go again, come back. So that's always been a big issue with why, you know, Australia has never been seen as the best country in the world, you know, because it's, in my opinion, we don't have as much access to world level competitions. But with what you were saying before, um, because of the Olympics coming around, we are. So there are programs in play now that allow us to fly to some of these countries for free or for or with some assistance so that we have more opportunities of going there and actually getting that experience that we need. And in terms of Oceania, tell tell me one thing though, Jai. We are are we better than New Zealand? Like uh, do we have to worry about the Kiwis or I mean we've we got them covered? Not at all, man. <laughs> <laughs> They're fine. Disregard them. Yeah, no. We we often do. That's kind of just to generally the 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 Australian way with that. I mean, it's just such an exciting period for for breaking and just kind of moving forward with it and so glad that we're being able to sort of get you on here to kind of to learn about this because yeah i sort of i remember when it was announced it's just kind of that that sort of thing like oh yeah okay breaking that that's an interesting one and as said to you in this interview off air this is just gonna just take off i can i cannot see this not being the the biggest breakout star of 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 paris and just and moving forward and obviously la seeing enough in it that they've included that in the olympics in 2028 I don't doubt Brisbane will in 2032, but it's just huge times. And is it something that if people are listening, watching this, they want to get involved in breaking, Gerard? Like is, you know, obviously the, the, the National Federation now exists, but I mean, local clubs, things like that, they're obviously probably popping up, I can imagine, a, a little bit more frequently now. Yeah, take, take my class. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, Plug that's it. Where can they go? Let them get, get the class. Come yeah, on, so get I, some I students out there. Crossover dance in the city. So in Sydney, around Chinatown, there's a dance studio called Crossover. I teach there. Um, I'm also open to, to private classes. You can at me on Instagram, Tech the Kid. That's where I, you know, that's just where I'm at. You can hit me up there. But another big thing for me is classes is one thing but there's also just open training spots. You know, I learned breaking for free. So I think everyone can learn breaking for free, rock up to a training spot, practice there, ask people for, for tips, you know, don't be annoying, but just, you know, observe as much as you talk um, and, you know, learn there, but there are many practice spots, many sessions. I also run a weekly session in Burwood um, Monday nights. So that's available. There are training sessions every Sunday at, uh, place called dmc which is a warehouse ran by series of events australia um there's a whole bunch of training spots out there for people to to get better and a whole bunch of classes in sydney especially so you know it's it's there you just have to to ask and you know it'll be around yeah and as i keep saying it's going to take off you're going to have so many people your your classes are going to go off now after this interview i'm telling you now you're just going to have people lining up before i let you guys right one thing i just wanted to quickly ask you i i love this uh post that i found on instagram a little bit of a bio on you and i love this section here where it mentions that uh you do not enjoy birds swimming and peanuts and that you have almost died from all three uh i feel there's is there a story to this or is it just a case of uh you know just avoid all of them because i'm allergic to them all oh i i 
I have, I hate birds. I'm afraid of birds. When I was young, uh, you know, my dad's a cameraman. So we were taking photos of birds and we were getting close to this, uh, to this baby duck. <laughs> and then the mother duck just came around the corner and just started chasing us. <laughs> and ever since then, I was like, fucking, you know, I've been afraid of birds. Um, swimming, I can't swim. I almost drowned recently in like a shallow rock pool. It was just so wow. embarrassing. <laughs> so I was, you know, uh, it was like you're walking on rocks, right? So it's, it's unpredictable. And sometimes the rock is lower than the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of misstepped and I fell in and I was treading water and I can only tread for 10 seconds. So after those 10 seconds were up, I was just fucking sinking. And I was like, I think I'm going to die. And my last thing that I thought about was, oh, there are people here who are like near me. Let me turn around so they don't see my face as I die. Because it's so <laughs> embarrassing what's wow. happening right now. Jeez. And just in that moment, I kind of put my foot on the right spot and then got up. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm anaphylactic, so I'm allergic to peanuts. So, you know. So basically, don't go on a picnic near a lake and bring peanuts, basically near the birds or <laughs> things like that, yeah, you know. Right? I mean, unless yeah. unless you're, you're breaking enemies or listening and going, fuck that guy, I just can't beat him. I'm just going to, yeah, hey, Gerard, you want to go picnic down near the duck lake? I've got some peanuts. Um, you yeah, know, man, that's, just... uh, you know. <laughs> I have enemies out there, man. You, we, we don't want to be talking about this. Exactly. Yeah, I'm giving them. I'm giving them fuel to to you know do it in a battle against you. Now, shit. What have I done? Yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've ruined this for you. Something like that. You know. Yeah. Exactly. If they bring this up, blame this interview, and and sort of you can you can hunt me down. Yeah. Right. This is seriously, mate. It's been so much fun learning about this. And I, I really do wish you all the best of luck moving forward. And we really do hope to see you in, at the Paris Olympics. And even if you don't make it, just the the atmosphere and and the the vibe and kind of the the the, the, the word I'm trying to think of, not even coming to my head the uh, the momentum there we go that's what I'm trying to think of that this sport will obviously gain as I keep mentioning a thousand times so so exciting to learn about the sport learn about you and I'm sure we will be uh, seeing a lot of you uh, very soon at the Paris Olympics I'm putting it now Gerard you'll be there yes sir, yes, sir. speak it into existence my friend it'll happen. <laughs> And a massive, massive, massive thanks to Gerard there for his time. So incredible to learn everything about it. Just like when we had Tom O'Halloran on before Tokyo to learn about sport climbing. I think you just, you learn so much, you get a picture for it. And having one of the best athletes in the country or the best athlete and male athlete in the country to sort of talk about it is just really fascinating to get an insight because... As I said, you can read everything on a screen. You can you can look at videos online and get a bit of a vibe for it. But when you're actually speaking to someone who does it for a living, it's so exciting to get that insight. And doesn't it just sound so exciting? This is really something that just is going to entice the fans into the Olympics. I can see so much more. And as we've talked a little bit about on off the podium over the course over since the Tokyo Games, we were a little bit disappointed at how skateboarding turned out. So uh, this could be, I think, the complete opposite of how it will turn out. So breaking is exciting. We uh, maybe were a bit skeptical of it in the past when it was first announced, but now I'm completely sold. Sign me up. I am ready to watch Breaking and Gerard at Paris in 2024. And I will say, we do actually have lined up another Breaker coming soon as well. Just uh, working on the finer details at the time of this being recorded. So uh, it is a sport that we are hoping to revisit 
in the coming months to uh, keep enticing you and getting you excited in the lead up to the Paris Olympics next year. But a big thanks to Gerard for his time and also an extra thanks too to the Australian Breaking Association for hooking us up with Gerard and getting that interview off the ground. You, of course, can see the video version of that interview on our YouTube channel. Search for Off The Podium if you haven't already subscribed. And if you haven't already subscribed, please do subscribe while you're there. Hit the subscribe button to never miss any of our video interviews. And you can, of course, subscribe for the podcast that you're listening to right now if you haven't already. Get them directly to your speakers wherever you are listening and you will never miss an episode moving forward because we have some great episodes coming your way. As always, I'm gonna tease. We have basketball coming back to the show. We have skiing coming back to the show, canoeing coming back to the show. And as I've mentioned a few times already in the last few weeks, debuting the sports of archery, of soccer. Our first athletes from those sports are coming to the show. Swimming, we're returning to swimming. Ice hockey, big sports that you love, that we love, and we're going to bring you athletes from those. We've got Olympic gold medalists, we've got Olympic medalists in general, and we've got Olympians that didn't win a medal but did very well at the Olympics in general as well. So lots of great content coming through your speakers wherever you are listening to us on planet Earth. Where are you listening to us? We'd love to know. Social media, off the podium, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Find us on all of those. Let us know where you're listening. And as always, feedback is appreciated. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and any suggestions moving forward for guests, random episodes, things like that. Jared, Colin, and myself will be back together in a few weeks' time to bring you another episode as well, uh, just outside of the interviews. And as I've been mentioning over the last few weeks, later this year, we'll be bringing you our Looking Ahead to Paris 2024 episode, where we'll be talking about Breaking No Doubt, as well as what we are looking forward to around about a year out from the Paris Olympics. So look forward to that around about the end of July this year. Very exciting times to be an Olympic fan right now. Massive thanks again to Gerard. What a fun interview. I've learned so much today. I might go try that whole spinning on the head thing that I mentioned there. But again, if I'm not back for the next episode, you know I broke my neck and died. So uh, just a forewarning there. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull. And my name is Ben. I don't know why I said and, but my name is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Off the Podium. I I think I've already broken my neck already in my head. I'm just not making any sense right now. Uh, We'll be back next week. (laughs) Remember, everyone, go left.